Welcome back to Sermon Notes. This is Garland, and I've got Michael with me, looking spry and fresh. He's yes. coming off sabbatical, so uh, the elders, every three years, uh, we get a, a little bit of a break, and uh, Michael's just coming off sabbatical, it just in time to conclude our Daniel series. So how you feeling, Man, Michael? Man, I'm glad to be back. I came back spiritually and physically refreshed. It was a great time away. I appreciate you and the community team, Garland, keeping things rolling. I don't think most people even knew I was gone, and that's by design, and so... <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be back. You can put all the fires now that you're back. Um, the uh, the idea, and if you don't know Michael, then uh, just picture this as best you can. Uh, you need to picture Michael on sabbatical, rolling on a motorcycle into uh, the dusk beach air somewhere in Texas. Um, that's his dream. That's of exactly some time away. That's what exactly happens. what he did. Yep. So, um, yeah, uh, that's always that's what I was pictured you doing every yep. time, every day on the sabbatical. I don't want every day, but uh, we uh, while you were gone, we moved into this second half of the book of Daniel, um, and it's been it's been quite the uh, quite the journey these last few weeks. And we intentionally structured the book of Daniel in our series, at least, to conclude with where we're going this Sunday. Uh, we wanted to uh, look at. This this passage before we go into uh, Passion Week. And so Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday are coming up, and we intentionally built this Esther Daniel semester to conclude here. Um, and so let us get us, let me get us to where we are in the in the story. Last week, Clark, um, Clark showed us Daniel doing what a, a, a right-minded, carefully reading prophet should do. He's read his Old Testament. He's, he's looked at Deuteronomy. He's read in Jeremiah, especially chapter 29, that when God's people turn and pray and repent and they turn to Yahweh with their whole heart, he will restore them. And we can see this promise all over the Old Testament and all over the prophets. And Daniel sits in that tradition, and rightly so, he begins to pray. And as he's praying and confessing and repenting, on behalf of the nation. That was what we looked at last week. Something strange happens that's never happened in one of my prayers. Verse 21, an angel shows up and starts talking to him. And uh, we've seen that as a regular feature in our book of Daniel here so far. Uh, but it happens here as well. And we're going to get a named angel, uh, named angel once again. It's Gabriel. And so tell us what's going on here in this story. Yeah. So Garland, when you hear that name, Gabriel, what immediately comes to mind? I think of my nativity set. Yeah. Um, sometimes he's cute looking. Other times he's kind of scary looking, but uh, he's one of the angels that shows up with Mary in the story of Jesus yeah, at the birth. Yes. Yeah. He shows up with, with Mary to tell her that Jesus is uh, going to be conceived in her womb. He actually shows up in the temple, um, in the holy place to Zechariah and tells him that he's going to have a child in his old age. That'll be John the Baptist. And so he is a messenger that is closely associated with uh, the Messiah, Jesus, and the, the news about his coming. And so he's the one who appears in verse 22. And he tells Daniel in verse 23, at the beginning of your plea for mercy, a word went out. So God had this answer prepared as soon as Daniel began his prayer of confession, which as you said, was in response to what he had had been revealed to him by Jeremiah as he's studying his Hebrew Bible, um, the prophet Jeremiah. He reads this that the exile is going to end in 70 years. And so God sends this answer, and the answer is found in verse 24. But it's not worded the way Daniel might have expected it. 
Gabriel actually says 70 weeks in Hebrew, it's literally 70 sevens are decreed. And that Hebrew word translated decreed, it means they're, they're cut, they're cut out. It's, it's a decree that's set in stone. God has set these aside. And he names six things that are going to occur. They're all, you can look at them, they're all found in verse 24. The first three have to do with God's forgiveness of sin. The second three have to do with God's fulfillment of his purpose for righteousness for his people. And then Gabriel says, so know and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. And Garland, your Hebrew is a lot better than mine, but that word prince there um, is the word Messiah. It's the word translated Christ in the Greek. And so a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it'll be built again with its squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And so this prince is going to come in 70 weeks. But as we look at the context of the prayer, we realize these aren't seven-day, seven rotations of the earth weeks. The 77s, the weeks represent years. And so what he's saying is, yes, the good news, Daniel, is the 70 years of exile are going to be over. A decree is going to go out that's going to allow people to begin to return to Jerusalem. We know from the rest of our New Testament, Zerubbabel takes a group back. Ezra's the priest. Nehemiah is going to take a group and rebuild the wall. The rebuilding of Jerusalem is about to begin. Those 70 years are up. There's bad news, though. It's 70 times seven, 70 sets of 70 years. In other words, 490 years until God's going to fulfill his bigger purpose, which is to send the Messiah, the prince, the one that, that Israel's been waiting for. So let's, let's uh, <clears throat> in summary, because we both taught this passage many times before, and I think it gets, when I've taught it, people get really confused really quickly. What is go 100? Let's, let's summarize real, real simply. Uh, Daniel is reading Jeremiah, and his expectation is 70 years, boom, it's over. The big restoration is coming. And as he's praying, in light of that promise that he's read back in Jeremiah 29, we might say there's a good and bad piece to this announcement. Gabriel has to show up and tell him, hey, it's going to happen, but a little different than you thought. The bad news is, you thought 70 it's going to be 70 times seven. And this is a, it's a very regular way uh, in, in Hebrew speak, we might say. Um, 70 times seven, Jesus would do the same thing with uh, how much we should forgive in the New Testament. Um, it's, it's more than you're thinking, uh, Daniel. And so that's a bit of a change of expectation. We can imagine, I can just imagine Daniel, his head kind of going sideways. Like, what do you mean? But the good news is, but wait for it. When you see this 70 times seven, some amazing things are coming, including the Mashiach, the anointed one, Messiah is coming. Okay. Now, um, help us understand, because one of the reasons we have sermon notes is there's a lot of stuff that we just don't have time to work into sermons. I know uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to use sermon notes quite extensively. My bet is you're going to have to do some work here in yep. this sermon, these next few minutes to make sense of some stuff that just can't make the cutting room floor, we might say, on a sermon. So what help us kind of wrap our arms around this passage. Yeah, I appreciate you setting it up that way. And, and I think a lot of our sermon notes listeners are probably like, why wouldn't we go into this on the platform? Why wouldn't the whole church want to hear this? And here's, here's the real truth. 
we're talking on Sunday morning to a wide variety of people. We have people in there who have advanced degrees in biblical studies. We have people who have seminary experience. We have people who are former vocational ministry pastors, whatever. But we also have people who are at church for the first time ever. We have people who are desperate. They have come in for a cool drink of spiritual water because they are parched. And so the last thing I want to do is get up there, roll out a chalkboard and start doing a bunch of math when nobody really understands what we're even talking about. So I'm going to even boil it down a little bit. I did want to mention this book. Um, It's got an amazing cover. It's a classic now. Oh yeah. We've been throwing this book around fellowship for years. You you might want to just Google it so you can look at the cover. (laughs) It's, and it's got a gripping title. Um, I I can't believe this has never been on the bestseller list, but the title is chronological aspects of the life of Christ. And the author is Harold Honer, H O E H N E R. If you want to look it up, you can still pick it up on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. It's inexpensive on Kindle. That's Honer was a professor. I actually had him uh, at DTS, um, and uh, he's an old, old, old guy when he, he wrote this thing. And uh, it's been floating around for a long time. This book, but what the Lord revealed to him. And he was standing on the shoulders of others, of course, but he's the Mm -hmm. one who really boiled it down to what I'm about to share with you. It's pretty amazing. So um, when we look at the passage, if we're looking for 70 sets of seven, he actually tells us um, in verse 25, there'll be seven sets of seven, then 62 sets of seven. So 69 times seven. Yeah. So 69 times seven. And what Dr. Honer shows us is, and, and there's a bunch of proofs for this. There's a bunch of evidence for this in the book. If you really want to do all this and you want to get into all this and you don't want to spend $15 for the book, you can come borrow mine. But he demonstrates pretty effectively that in the prophets and in Hebrew thought, they used 360-day years. They had 12 30-day months. It's kind of interesting. We have a leap year to kind of keep our calendar in check with our 365-point-whatever days that we have in a year. Um, They would just add an extra month every so often, and it wasn't regular. It was almost like they would just start to say, you know, the fall is getting later and later. We we need to fix this thing. So they used 360 days for a year. And what he demonstrates very effectively in the book is if we look in the book of Nehemiah, there is a command that goes out in Nehemiah 2.1, a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. That's the marker that is predicted in Daniel. And we know exactly when that happened because of the internal dating in Nehemiah. It happened on what we would call March 5th, 444 B.C., And I will mention that on Sunday, but you can jot that down if this is something you're really wanting to explore. March 5th, 444 BC. Then, if we take the simple math of 69 years of 360 days each, what that brings us to on our calendar is March 30th, AD 33. And most Bible scholars believe that March 30th, AD 33 is the day described in Luke chapter 9 and in the other Gospels where Jesus makes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So with that in mind, look again at Daniel 9. On that day, there'll be the coming of an anointed one. Mashiach. The Messiah, a prince. And when he comes, he'll be cut off and have nothing and so we know that's exactly what happened. Jesus was formally presented 
on what we call Palm Sunday. It's in all four Gospels. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and we all know what's going to happen there. A week later, he will have been tried, crucified, and then resurrected. And so he's been cut off in the flesh in that time, but then he'll be resurrected to reign and rule as king, as Messiah, but not the kind of Messiah that the Jews and probably Daniel were expecting. And so when we look again, Garland, we've talked about this over and over. We've seen all these prophecies throughout the book of Daniel. You did a great job with Daniel 10 through 12. One writer says there's 135 fulfilled prophecies just in those chapters. But this is the one, this is the centerpiece prophecy for New Testament scholars that the exact date of Jesus' triumphal entry is predicted, and the kingdom of God is ushered in in a way that no one could have expected through a Roman cross. So here, in summary, um, and I'm going to ask you a personal question, because I know this passage has been a lot to you, um, so get your heartstrings ready, Michael. Uh, let me prep you with that as it's early in the morning here on a Monday. Um, as we look at Daniel 9, what, what we seem to hear is, okay, Daniel, good and bad news. The exile is going to be longer than you thought, 70 times 7. But when it's concluded, we're going to have some amazing, amazing things, including the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And you can start the watch, we might say. Begin looking when you hear a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So as the book of Daniel is concluding and we look around our Old Testament, we're looking for a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And there's, there's different decrees, and scholars debate this a little bit, which decree this is. But if we take the decree given to Nehemiah, by Artaxerxes in 444 BC to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It even says with wall and with trench or moat. Um, then we can take the the Jewish calendar and date that to 33 AD, which just so happens to bring us right up to Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, which we're going to be looking at next week. And that, I mean, every time every time I've looked at this passage, um, it, it should give you goosebumps. I mean, it's a really profound thoughts. And it even says that the Mashiach, the anointed one, will be will be cut off. Uh, NIV translates it, put to death, a little bit of interpretive translation there. Um, Daniel is giving us an, a picture, a prophetic picture of what is expected. And as we look back in our Old Testament and back on the book of Daniel, and then back on the ministry and presentation of Jesus in the Passion Week, we can see, wow, um, how could how could this be? Now, personal question for you. I know for you, this passage uh, it meant a lot to you, I think, in formatting and in informing, forming your uh, just almost confidence in the Lord. So walk us through just that personal journey for you with this passage. Yeah, so I actually have um, a good friend. I didn't get his permission, so I won't say his name, but <laughs> this is what brought him to Christ. He saw this. He was he was sort of an intellectual skeptic. Um, he liked logic. He's got kind of a science engineering mind. When he saw this presented, it broke him. He he said, "This has to be true." And and I've I've had a similar experience with this passage as well. And I would say for me, even more than affirming uh, my faith in God, which I, you know, I, I don't feel like I was struggling with that when I encountered this for the first time. I feel like what this passage gave me was a lot of confidence in the literal fulfillment of all these prophecies. When you read the Old Testament. Um, it can get shrouded. It can get confusing. Some of it seems really dark. The imagery is really hard to understand. But there's these moments like this that when we can turn the gym and see a new facet, it just illuminates so much more of our Bible. 
And so, um, I hate to say without going into it here, because we're not going to go into it anywhere, because this is the place. But when we look at this with Revelation, and we look at the numbers that John uses for the numbers of days, he gives us a three and a half year period, he gives us a seven year period, that is the 70th week. I am very confident that the 70th week is still to come and will occur in the future right before Jesus returns to reign and rule on the earth. And so my personal experience with Daniel 9 has been one of not just affirming my confidence in Scripture, um, and then just, it's almost like opening up a watch and seeing how the gears so intricately work, how Scripture fits together so beautifully. But, and Robert Cup said this to me, um, years ago, and I've just held on to it ever since, he said, if every single prophecy about Jesus' first coming was literally fulfilled, why wouldn't I expect the same thing for his second coming? And so it's really informed how I read my Bible, how I think about future things. And um, my hope and my prayer is that I can communicate just a little bit of that excitement and that breathe some of that confidence by the power of the Holy Spirit into people who are with us on Sunday or who listen to the podcast, that they can get excited about this passage and it'll get them even more excited to study, not just to study their Bible, to study their whole Bible. Yeah, and, if, and by way of summary, once again, if uh, just to, to, to state what you just stated, um, many, many scholars looking at this passage go, oh wait, that's six, that we have seven and 62. There's 69 times seven. There's 69 of our weeks. And we see that the anointed one will be cut off. That leaves one week still hanging out there. And uh, many, many scholars place that one week as a future event. And then they read verse 27 and they say, um, okay, he will confirm a covenant with, the, uh, with many for this one seven, this figure who will come. And this figure will, be, will do great, awful things, setting up an abomination that causes desolation and say, well, we might have a prefiguring of that in the past with something that Antiochus, the Greek king, did. And another uh, example of it was something Pompey and Titus, the general of uh, Rome, did in 70 AD, that there's one in the future that one, that is yet to come. And oftentimes we refer to this as the, the beast from the sea or the Antichrist or something. And what you're articulating is uh, a, a very uh, uh, regular view that many people hold, that in the future, um, this one week will be fulfilled in a seven-year period. And so uh, many then map that onto Revelation and see that one week right there as a seven-year period. So the book of Revelation would be, in their view, a, a seven-year period of what we might call great tribulation that will occur. And uh, this is the weeds. Oh, man, we're in some of the weeds now. That uh, that This is the stuff that we don't have time to get onto. I can't imagine somebody brand new to church showing up on Sunday, and we're going off on uh, lunar calendars, solar yeah. calendars, beasts right. of the sea, and uh, maybe they love it. Um, well, I, I do. I do want to. Uh, I do think this is worth worth noting. Um, the The book of Daniel gives us an expectation. It's an expectation of a Messiah. It's an expectation of those six things you noted. Like that's that's amazing, and uh, I think it's worth noting here. The book of Daniel in our English Bibles, it finds itself placed in, and right, I get why, um, it follows an ancient tradition, the Greek ancient tradition. It's placed together with the other prophets. So it comes uh, in what we often call the major prophets. So Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Then we have our book of the 12 or the 12 minor prophets. Um, in the Hebrew Bible, though, Daniel's not placed there. It's actually right. placed in a different a different part of the Bible. The Hebrew Bible has three main sections, the Torah, then the prophets it's called, then the writings. And the writings are uh, a, a collection of scrolls, including Psalms and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and um, Ezra, Nehemiah, 
Daniel finds itself there, and it's it's in a couple different places there, but most um, most versions of the Hebrew Bible place the book of Daniel right before Chronicles. So think about the difference. In our Bible, Daniel's way over in the middle, and uh, it's with the other prophets. In the Hebrew Bible, Daniel's right before Chronicles, and Chronicles ends the Hebrew Bible. Now, here's why this is cool, and uh, I guess this is why you're here in Sermon Notes, and you made it 20 minutes in. Um, if you think about Chronicles ends... And it's actually an amazing ending. The book of Chronicles ends with a commission from a pagan king, Cyrus, to Zerubbabel to go and restore and rebuild. It just so happens that Daniel, in the Hebrew understanding, is right before Chronicles. And what is Daniel telling us in Daniel 9? Look for an announcement to restore and rebuild. And the Hebrew Bible then ends with this hopeful expectation. You know what comes right before Daniel? Another note to go restore and rebuild, Nehemiah. So Daniel is sandwiched between these these commands to go restore and rebuild Jerusalem. It's almost like the Hebrew Bible is ending going, what do they call those? An ellipses, dot, 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 to be continued. Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. Look, we've got these commands to restore and rebuild. Is it any wonder that when we then turn the page to look at Jesus, we see Jesus walking in, announcing himself as Messiah, the Son of Man, the one that comes and sits on the throne. Uh, and that's just awesome to me. Um, sometimes I think we can read the Old Testament and see it as something different than the New Testament, and that is a completely wrong way to go about that. Jesus is walking in the story of his Old Testament, saying, I am coming to do and be what the Old Testament was praying for, hoping for, and expecting, and that's awesome. So um, just just jot that down or make note of that. Michael, anything as we're concluding here, going into uh, what'll be uh, kind of going into Holy Week after that, uh, uh, or I guess the week after that, anything that's, that's that we haven't hit on that you think is important? No, I, I, I love what you just shared, and I would want to just basically give us kind of a summary statement for Esther Daniel. We started this back in January. Now it's brought us all the way to Easter, and I hope that those of you who have kind of stuck with us through this, I hope what you're taking away is a few big salient points. One is God is at work. That's what we saw in Esther. We see it all the way through Daniel. God is at work. In Daniel, we see it on a macro scale. Kingdoms rise, empires fall, the great son of man seated at the right hand of the father. It's huge. In Esther, we saw it on the most micro scale, one family one individual, God working um, in individual lives. And those are both still true today. And so I hope point one, Esther Daniel, God is at work. And then number two, uh, that God is trustworthy. He is going to fulfill his plan. If you think all the way back to Esther, uh, it was uh, Uncle Mordecai who said, um, Esther, if you don't step up, God will still save the Jews. You'll just miss out on the blessing. And so God is going to fulfill his plan. The things that we've seen in Daniel were, they were decreed, they were, they were cut out um, from history and decreed that they would happen. Jesus did come, and all the signs pointed to that. And so for us today, to trust in God's plan, that it's bigger than the headlines on the news, it's bigger than our political parties and our ideologies, it's bigger than our economic advances and setbacks. God is at work, and he is sovereign over history, over fellowship, and over us as individuals. And man, if we can all just lean into that and turn our face toward him, um, as I said back in Esther, who knows? Who knows what we might see God do? This is the way. 
Exactly. We had, we had to conclude exactly. there. I had to just be a nerd nope. for a moment. That's um, good. Well, we thank you for joining us on Sermon Notes. If you got questions, let us know. Um, this this will be the last week in Daniel Esther. Then we'll move into uh, we'll move into uh, Palm Sunday and Easter week, Holy Week, uh, Passion Week uh, here in the next week or two. Then Easter Tide as we celebrate the resurrection that new creation ground has been brought into this world. So uh, thanks for joining us. Have a great week.